When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 84 of the Burden of Command podcast. I'm your host, Earl Breon. Today's guest comes to me from my uh, good friends over at Interview Valet, and his name is Todd Palmer. Now, Todd is an executive coach, keynote speaker, renowned thought leader, author, and CEO who is committed to helping business owners tackle their obstacles and clear their path to success. As an entrepreneur and active CEO, Todd knows the struggles that business owners face regarding people, cash, strategy, and execution. He took his company from being $600,000 in debt to making the Inc. 5000 as one of America's fastest-growing companies an astounding six times. He specializes in helping leaders join the mission statement of the organization with their personal core values while addressing fears, self-doubts, and imposter syndrome. He brings a unique blend of authenticity, transparency, and vulnerability to help leaders and organizations achieve their highest goals, and he's here today to share his story, what he's learned along the way, and his proven framework for helping business owners achieve success. Now, throughout this conversation, we'll talk quite a bit about uh, Todd's book, From Suck to Success, where he shares that story of going from so far in debt to being such a uh, fastly growing organization. And he's got a lot of great wisdom to pass on. Hopefully, you're not an organization that is that deep in debt. But if you are, Todd's your guy. So I'm going to go ahead and get out of the way here and let you get into this great interview with Todd Palmer. All right. Well, Todd, thanks for being with me and my listeners today. Earl, thank you so much for having me. It's my honor to be here. Yeah, no, I'm really looking forward to this. And, uh, you know, as we, we get this conversation going, I want to start you off where I start off all of my guests with that one, uh, that one question that drives the podcast. What does the phrase burden of command mean to you? Wow, that is such a such an interesting question, um, especially in the space of, of servant leaders as well as entrepreneurs, you know, when I think of the burden of command, um, I, I, I use a phrase with my coaching clients, and I, I say, I think I paraphrase Shakespeare somewhat, when I say heavy is the head that wears the crown. If we're going to be leaders, and we're going to be in charge, and we're going to be in command, so to speak, that, that comes with a, 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 a either a stated or unstated level of responsibility and leadership to those we serve whether they're the employees we work with, whether they're the clients we service, or as we're kind of doing in our pre-talk, uh, you know, those who are in the military. And it, it's, it's one, of, one of my, so to that point, one of my favorite leadership examples of burden of command is that of Admiral James Stockdale. He was um, referred to a couple of times in the classic business book, Good to Great by Jim Collins, and where he got the Stockdale Paradox. And in the Stockdale Paradox, tying to the burden of command, is the thought process of, you know, dealing with our brutal reality. 
And as entrepreneurs, as business leaders, there's often brutal realities we must deal with, COVID-19 being one of them. And through that, we have to have an unwavering faith, and we have to convey that faith to our troops, convey that to our employees, convey that to the other leaders within our organizations, that we somehow will prevail while dealing with the brutal reality. So when I think of the burden of command, James Stockdale immediately pops to mind. Mm. I, I love that answer, and I know that's going to be one that uh, kind of resonates with my uh, my longtime fans because uh, uh, back in episode uh, four of the podcast, I actually interviewed uh, Colonel Lee Ellis, uh, who was a POW under Admiral Stockdale's command. Wow, that's outstanding. Wow, that had to be a fascinating conversation. Oh, absolutely. It, it 100% was. And, you know, what you said there, why I love it so much is, uh, you know, Colonel Ellis, uh, he has a book, uh, Lead with Honor, and uh, that was kind of their guiding principle uh, there in, in the camp. And and like you said, Stockdale, and not even just Stockdale himself, but his love for Stoic philosophy was really what grounded and guided him. Sure, sure. Makes sense. Yeah. And, and I think that philosophy fits in really nice with, uh, so your current book is uh, that's, that's getting ready to come out. Uh, is From Suck to Success, A Guide for Entrepreneurship. And, you know, obviously you haven't had a chance to read the book yet because it comes out, uh, what, in early 21, you said? Yeah, we're, we're shooting for February of 2021, correct. Outstanding. So, uh, but just looking at the title, uh, that, that sounds like a very kind of stoic philosophy kind of title. So I'm just curious, are, are you into stoic philosophy at all? You know, I, I've heard of it. Um, it's It's really... So I don't know a lot about it, so I don't want to preface that I do. Um, a lot of the work that, that I had to do when I was an active CEO was inside-out work. If hmm. I wanted to change my organization, I realized with the help of a coach that I hired that I had to change myself. If I wanted to to pivot my business in a certain direction, it always it always came from the inside out. And so many people in our, in our world nowadays, and a lot of entrepreneurs get sucked into this saying, well, ex- external things will make me happy. External choices will drive my decisions. When I argue that you know, if I show up differently, I practice an active learning cycle mindset. I go into the conversation with what do I own, what can I change, what can I influence, and then realize that if I think something sucks and I want something to be successful, it's up to me, and I am in control of making a lot of those decisions. And and what for me it did, and, and I talk about this in the book, is it really eliminates the thought process around failure or the, even the worst, the permanency that failure is forever. Uh, yeah. I mean, so you, you, you may not uh, know it, but yeah, that you just summed up stoic philosophy uh, fairly well because, you know, the kind of the, the famous quote, at least the one I like the most is uh, from a philosopher named Epictetus. And uh, he says, men are disturbed not by things, but the view of which they take of them. Per- yes. Uh, couldn't agree with you more. And I was, I had that victim mentality for a very long time. I mean, I started my company for literally next to no money. Mm-hmm. I had a recruiting company here in Metro Detroit, and we did temporary help, and I started for like $15,000. And you know, I'm an entrepreneur. I think that I have to, you know, I had very much a, 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 a rugged individualist mindset. I thought I had to have all the answers to all the problems all the time for everyone, and that served me well until it didn't. Flash forward, you know, nine, ten years into the, the journey, we had some good years and we had some bad years. But I, I wake up, and I don't want to say I wake up one day and find myself, but I wake up one day and recognize, realize, and embrace that I've gotten the company six hundred thousand dollars in debt. Uh, 
on about mm. a two and a half million dollar run rate. So the company is incredibly upside down. I don't even know it because unlike Stockdale, I wasn't confronting my brutal reality. And I kept putting my head in the sand thinking we could just sell our way out of it, sell our way out of it, sell our way out of it, as a lot of entrepreneurs do. So September by September of 2006, you know, like I said, I'm 600 grand in debt. I'm two months away from running out of all of my money. My house was pledged to the bank. It was my son and I. I was a single dad. We were going to lose our home. And I finally had to give up on the notion that I had to be all things to all people all, all the time. And I raised my hand and I asked for help for the very first time in my entrepreneurial career and I hired a coach. Mm-hmm. He came in, took a look at the numbers, taught me some quick financial literacy because I didn't know what I didn't know. And I just knew I didn't know what I was doing. And we, we looked at the, the, the financial structure of the company, who our target audience was as clients, what was working and what wasn't working. And we really identified that I suffered massively from a huge bout of imposter syndrome that I called my, my itty-bitty shitty committee. And they had <laughs> 600,000 members, to, one for every dollar that was represented, and it was constantly in my ear telling me how much I sucked and how I wasn't enough and how I wasn't doing this and how I wasn't doing that. Because I'd always thought as, you know, as a younger person that the only way to do something was to beat myself up so I would get motivated to take action. And obviously I learned that that did not work. And I also, because of the mindset that I took into the conversations on a daily basis with my itty-bitty shitty committee, was allowing people in my company to stick around that shouldn't be there. I was not creating KPIs and measurables to drive performance and results. And my coach said, you know, you've got to make some sweeping changes. So we did on September 6th of, yeah, September 9th of 2006. I fired my entire company early and I started over. Mm. From there, we started hiring people and restaffed the company. Sorry, hiring people for DNA, not for resume. In the recruiting space, I was taught and trained that you always hire people with HR backgrounds or recruiting backgrounds. And I said, this doesn't work. Yep. And that was my first opportunity to really engage in an active learning cycle to recognize what wasn't working, hiring people with an HR background and a recruiting background. Instead, I want to have an intention of what I do want. I want the intentionality of a great customer service experience. So let's hire people with great customer service skills. So I would go to restaurants and retail and, and whoever gave me great service, I was handing out business cards. And how could I hire that person? They, they gave me a really awesome experience. Flash, flash forward eight years later, we've paid off all $600,000 in debt. We found the inflection point of increased demand and diminished supply in the human capital space for manufacturing. And we made the Inc. 5000 as one of the fastest growing companies six times. Oh. All, be, all because I was able to get out of my head, deal with my, you know, as you're in this thing, kind of incorporate now a stoic philosophy and, and pivot that business onto a growth trajectory that um, allowed for some really cool things to happen. Oh, no, I love that. I mean, you, you said a whole lot there. And, you know, it's it's one, again, uh, listeners probably uh, remember I shared a story back in episode 13 about a gentleman named Cliff Young. And uh, for those who haven't been around that long, short version is Cliff Young was a, uh, uh, I want to say he was 62-year-old Australian guy who showed up to uh, an ultra marathon. It was a 540-some-mile ultra marathon. Uh, in coveralls and muck boots and all the serious athletes were making, you know, kind of making fun of him, not taking him seriously. Well, long story short, uh, by the end of the race, old Cliff, he'd finished uh, in in the lead 10 hours ahead of second place. Wow. All because of kind of what you were just telling the the story there. He came to it with a fresh mind. He didn't know how he was supposed to run. He didn't know how he was supposed to operate the race. He just knew that he needed to get from point A to point B. 
and that he could make it from point A to point B. And, you know, that's kind of what you went through. You, it sounds like in the beginning, once you said, you did what everybody told you you should do, but your growth and your your winning strategy was sort of asking yourself the question, how would I run this business if I didn't know how to run this business? Uh, it's very much, uh, I think the, uh, a friend of mine calls it the, the Shoshin mindset, the beginner's mindset. Mm-hmm. When you're, when you're $600,000 in debt, you've certainly proven a lot of ways that it doesn't work. <laughs> um, right. So I looked at that and, and, and by, by hiring the coach that I hired, he was really good at guiding me around what needed to take place because he had been there, done that. I think a lot of people who get into the coaching space are very well-intentioned, but maybe don't have that, um, that feet on the street, been there, done that, survived that attitude and mindset. And I was blessed to have him. So from my perspective, you know, looking at the debt, for example, you know, my identified my mindset. My mindset was I don't want to be in debt. I don't want to file bankruptcy. I want to honor my commitments to all of my, my loaner, my, my lenders, my vendors, etc. So I set an intention of I want to get out of debt. But not an expectation that I'm going to get out of debt a very certain way by a very specific time. Because you know, expectations are win-lose, where intentions have a lot of openness to them. It's more of a growth mindset than a fixed mindset. Right. So then we, the team and I created a strategy where what we would do is every week we would, we would, we would bl- do phone blitzes and different programs reaching out to, to potential hiring companies and, and just bombard them with a lot of you know, probing questions such as we're in the, and this was during the recession back here, uh, 06, 07, 08. So we're asking you know, plant managers like, hey, I know you're, you're currently you're on a hiring freeze right now, but when you get off the hiring freeze, what kind of person are you going to be looking to hire? And we would just keep notes and track it and get, um, measure it out. We started seeing patterns in the data. The data showed us that, for example, they were looking for CNC machinists, computer mm-hmm. numeric controls, and they wanted programmers, and they wanted programmers who could program in a certain language. It was called Mazek Mazatrol, and it was for high-end um, prototype manufacturing. And we kept hearing this over and over and over again. So we identified that there was, was, was going to be a pent-up demand for this category. We then reverse-engineered it and started looking for these guys who had been displaced. Or people who had just gotten a certification, we started working and repping them. So we pivoted from being a, a customer customer focused recruiting business to a candidate focused recruiting business based upon implied customer demands. What that did is it allowed us to see that there was this inflection point in the marketplace that was coming up of an increased demand and diminished supply of this talent. We argued if we can own that bottleneck, that talent, we can get paid faster. So we started asking clients more questions such as when do you pay your employees? We pay either weekly or biweekly. We knew the answer was going to be one of those two. And all you would say to them is, great, we need to get paid in that same check run. They would say, you know, they were like, okay. Yeah. (laughs) So great. And also, by the way, these people, because they're in great increased demand and demand supply, are about 10% more than your typical temporary employee. Okay, yes, I can understand they're a profit center. And that's that allowed us to get paid faster, get paid more, get and by getting paid faster and more. That allowed us to dig out of debt a whole heck of a lot faster than we had projected we would because we owned the marketplace of these these high demand categories that just no one it's like looking at the matrix and the, you know we Keanu Reeves or looking at the matrix where where are those inflection points we figured that out by being massively curious by asking a ton of questions and by tracking the data. Well, yeah, and I imagine uh, you mentioned that you you kind of targeted customer service oriented folks over HR folks. That was probably uh, that was probably the critical element there, right? Because with with the customer service background, I would imagine those folks were able to ask those questions 
in a way that got the 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 end user uh, to open up more and be more forthcoming with what they really needed and understood. Well, yeah, for sure, absolutely. It goes back to I think the start of our conversation: the burden of command. I'm 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 pressing my team to ask questions that best serve the listening audience, that mm-hmm. best serve the customer, that best serve the plant manager, that best serve the HR person who's going to get tasked in a, in a reduced department. So we are of service to you. How can we best serve you? Not how can you best take care of us? And we just the more we pressed them and we were more focused on being interested in them versus being interesting to them, it allowed us to really burrow deep into these organizations so that we could best serve them by being of service through them by the demands that they, they knew they were going to be having. Yeah. And, and I think that's very, I mean, it's, it's very ingenious. It's very smart. Uh, and, and it's, it's something I think too many organizations take for granted is that customer service element. And what always drives me kind of bandy about that is, you know, we're in early December when we're recording this and uh, Tony Sai has just passed away tragically, but that was the key thing that he brought to Zappos, right? For sure. He, he didn't describe Zappos as a, uh, as a shoe company. He described Zappos as we are a customer service company that sells shoes. You know, it's it's so interesting that you bring up Tony. I met Tony back in 2008. Yeah. And he was on his tour for the book Delivering Happiness. And we got talking and he says, you know, I'm asking him a million questions. And he goes, why don't you just come out to Nevada and you can spend a couple days with my team. Hmm. And so we actually packed up the entire company, took all 12 of us out there and we spent two days with his team learning about, you know, that that customer service isn't a department, it's an entire organization. Customer mm-hmm. service isn't a department, it's a philosophy. And, you know, we, we created, you know, from that conversation with Tony, then we, in the trip we took out there to see him, we took our, our vice president and she became our culture champion. We took our culture points and we started, created a hiring model that specifically drilled down on how to hire people to fit those culture points. We then measured out those culture points and created stories around them put the culture points on our website so that when people would come to interview with us for an internal position, they could see that we were serious about it because the questions were all about how you fit our culture, how you bet best emblematically will rep- reflect that back into the candidate experience. And so Tony for me was a huge, huge, huge influence. And it's, it's, it's so tragic that we lost him at such a young age, but it, I think his effect is going to be felt for the entrepreneurial community for decades to come. Oh, I think so too. I mean, like he he just changed the game. I mean, that that thought process and, you know, the the great thing about it is is why I know and believe it's going to be as transcendent as what you're talking about is it was able to survive the Amazon acquisition, <laughs> right? Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, Tony is amazing. I mean, he's the first entrepreneur that I know of that took a company from zero revenue to $1 billion with a B in revenue in less than 10 years. Right. I mean that that's phenomenal success, and they didn't reinvent the wheel. They weren't. They didn't. He didn't build you know a brand new shoe. Right. He he, he created a a better customer buying experience. And when we sat there, he showed us this, this little trick they did, where he'd, he'd have somebody on a call and say, "Okay, your shoes are going to go out. You should have them in the next three to five days." And, and then his team was empowered to give that person without them even knowing that that overnight delivery. Mm-hmm. And I mean just the. The little things that he was able to impart, and he didn't, and, and the person didn't need to go to their manager to get permission. They they were empowered in the moment on the conversation they had with another human being to give them the gift, you know, of quicker delivery. 
things yeah. like that. I mean, that just stuff that that matters to people. Well, yeah, there was a story, and, and I don't want to make this all about Zappos here, but uh, it, it ties in very well with you know kind of what what you have found out in your business and what you share with entrepreneurs as well. But I remember uh, hearing a story about uh, one of the people that worked for Zappos. Uh, there was a lady, if I if I remember the story right, she had ordered a pair of shoes for her husband's funeral. And she hadn't done the expedited shipping like what you had talked about. Ah, okay. And when she got the shipping information, it was going to show up like two or three days after the funeral, something like that. Oh, geez. So she calls the company and asks them, you know, is there any way that they can bump up the uh, bump up the shipping? And unfortunately, they couldn't because it already shipped. But this person, because of the culture that Zappos had in place, they shipped this lady an identical pair of shoes overnight. And when she found out the reason why she needed the shoes... She, she's reached out to her, basically asked her, you know, ma'am, I know you just lost your husband. Are you okay? And ended up talking on the phone for like four and a half hours. And you're in a sales business, right? You got to think how much, how much in commission did that salesperson lose? Well, the way the story goes, they didn't lose anything. They got a big bonus for showing that level of customer service and being on the phone with that person for four and a half hours and showing wow. empathy. Uh so I just you'll you'll love this, and again, like you said, you want to make it all about Tony, but I think I think there's so many lessons in this in the stories. So I did a because of COVID, I was my main business model was to speak from stage around the globe to entrepreneurial groups to talk about for the suck the suck to success model, right. and that that was obviously canceled, and I I I lost six stages within two weeks. So what I did is I pivoted deeply into volunteering. So I started volunteering to speak to groups into entrepreneurs, and I was doing a lot of individual coaching um, with CEOs that were in chaos and crisis, having been there myself. Well, this, the CEO saw me speak, and she messaged me and asked if she could have a call, and I was happy to do it. And we're talking, and she was like, would you be willing to talk to my kid's school? Mm. And I'm like, really? You think kids are going to get the message? And I was a little apprehensive. She's like, Trust me, I think your message, it, the kids, because they're losing, and these were senior, juniors and seniors who were losing their proms and losing their, all, all their final you know, year-end events and the, the last ofs and what have you. So I just did this call yesterday, Earl, with, I, I did two classes back-to-back -back for this teacher, and Tony's name came up. And she told the most heartwarming story that she reached out to Zappos and needed shoes shipped overnight for a young man's graduation a few years ago when they could still walk. And he wore a size 16 shoe, which she couldn't find anywhere locally. She found it on there, but she found it last minute. And she called, hey, can you, can you get, get this shipped overnight? I'll pay whatever it costs, but I need it like in two days. And th I think the, the way she read the website, it was a three-day shipping minimum or three-day three -day lag because of the holiday season. Right. And here's what they did for her. Not only did they ship the shoes to her overnight, they didn't charge her. They gave the shoes to her, to this young man for free. Mm. Now that goes to a company that... The, the owners, the leaders, the, the burden of command pushed through the organization, shared down through the organization. This is how we show up. This is how we behave. This is how we act to our customers. And, and, and her name is Amy, Amy the teacher. And she's like, I am a customer of Zappos for life now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and that, you know, so again, uh, we're, we're talking about your book, From Suck to Success, A Guide for Entrepreneurship. You know, but these are all things that I, I would guess, at least in, in my experience working with entrepreneurs, that a lot of, especially younger entrepreneurs, tend to blow past, right? That that 
core uh, culture of what the organization is going to be. They have this great idea. They have this great service. They, they know how to do SEO and all that kind of good stuff. And they hit the ground running. And they never really invest that time and effort in the early stages to figure out how do I want my people to operate and what type of, as you put it, and I love that, what type of DNA do I want my organization to have? Yeah. So, so how do it's, you get it's, folks thinking it's real, about that? Well, you know, so I had the same problem. So the first thing anybody who's listening who's like, yeah, that sounds like me. I, I bet nobody's ever felt that way. I was that guy. I was the person who was chasing. I was chasing the zeros. I wanted to, how many millions of dollars can I build into my business? I needed, you know, my goal was I want to be a twenty million dollar company, and I want to go buy this, and I want to go do that. But what I was ignoring is really the mistakes. And the mistake I was making was I was seeking external means for internal emptiness. And my internal emptiness was, uh, you know, I, I was not getting satisfaction from certain things in my life. And I thought if I put money or toys or, or trips or whatever into that black hole within me, I'll feel better. I'll feel whole. I'll feel like a success. The reality was I had to take a look at myself and figure out what my emptiness was and then figure out what my purpose was and what my why was. So about a dozen years ago, I was really fortunate. Um, I saw a guy named Simon Sinek speak. Mm-hmm. about the power of why. And he hadn't even done his YouTube video or his uh, TED Talk yet. He literally was a guy. He was, his whole business was a marker and a, and a big sticky pad. And right. he, we were one of the first groups he ever talked to. Um, a friend of mine, Brian, saw him and he brought him to our group. And I worked with Cynic for two years to figure out two words. My two words, my why is improve lives. And every coaching client I work with, they go through the same exercise of figuring out what their why is. So that when bad times occur, or when opportunities flood us, we can make the choices that will be the most important to us. And it all comes down for me is to helping pay people figure out what their why is. And it's bigger than your purpose and it's bigger than your passion. So you know, going back to my why of improved lives, you know, that's why I volunteered so much because it tied into my why of improving lives. I couldn't do it from stage and I couldn't do it coaching CEOs in the boardroom. Where else can I do it? Because if I just do it enough and I help enough entrepreneurs get outside of their chaos and their internal crisis and pivot them into different ways of looking at things to save their businesses during COVID times, then I just believe good things will come back to me. And I, I, I tell you what, Earl, by, by focusing on my why, my coaching practice has doubled during COVID. I finished my book. You know, I, a lot of good things have happened to me and my family during these tough times. And it wouldn't have happened if I hadn't not worried about like the entrepreneurs, like I'm so focused on SEO, I want to grow my business. You know, t- take a look at an entrepreneur like um, the guy from Tom's Shoes, who every time he sells a pair of shoes, he gives a pair of shoes away. He's right. anchored in his purpose. So there's a lot of different, you know, not just myself, but so many other successful entrepreneurs out there who embody that. That it's, you know, going back to you, I love your question, the burden of command. The burden of command is I need to show up and I need to lead others to better lives. Well, the guy, you know, uh, Tom's Shoes guy is giving away a pair of shoes to underprivileged or people in need while selling a pair of shoes. I want to do business with that, that person because they're emblematic. I just had another client, a client of mine just yesterday. She pivoted her business. She's, she, was, she was feet on the street, brick and mortar retail in Winnipeg, Canada. Within two weeks of being shut down during COVID, she's now pivoted her retail model to a, a beauty box for, for women primarily for the holiday season. I kid you not, within 24 hours of her pivot and her heartfelt message and how she was going to give a box, to, you know, if you bought a box, she was going to make a, a donation to this women's shelter. She sold out in 24 hours. Oh, yeah. 
because people want to people want to be part of something bigger than themselves. They want to be part of a message they can believe in. So uh, I think that's the, one of the biggest keys is again going back to being of not only of service to our business and our why, but translating that to being of service to our community and the world at large. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I'm uh, I'm a Southerner, uh, born and raised in Northeast Tennessee, so I'm going to say is preach. Uh, you know, <laughs> I mean, because you know that's it, and that's why uh, you know I'm kind of excited for for the book. You know, I love the title "From Suck to Success" because I mean, you know, as a coach, I know as a coach working with people uh, that you know that that suck period is really the uh, the kind of the crucible moment for most folks. And you have oh, yeah. to really answer that question. Is this the thing that truly drives me, truly motivates me, truly gets me out of bed in the morning? And if it's not, it doesn't matter how good of a job we do as a coach. That suck, whatever it may be, is going to be enough to get you out of that, uh, out of that business model. Now, we may be able to help you get to what does get you out of bed in the morning. But you have to, you have to as we said in the Marines, you have to embrace the suck and and bring that into your life, realize it's there, whining about it, moaning about it, bitching about it all day long is not going to make it go away. You have to embrace it and move from suck to success, right? Well, it's, it's like, so I still use a coach. His name is Dr. Danny Freeman. Yeah. And he's, he's amazing because I would be very much wrapped up in, you know, I, I would avoid the suck. Even, you know, I get out of the debt, I'm still avoiding the suck for a lot of different parts of my life. Mm-hmm. And he's like, his argument was this, failure is nothing, and he's a neurosurgeon by training. He's literally a medical doctor who operates on the brain. So I trust him implicitly. He knows a lot more about the human brain than I'll, I'll ever know. Right. And, and he says, you're, you're getting wrapped up in avoiding the suck. You're getting wrapped up in avoiding the pain. Mm-hmm. Pain is going to happen regardless. It's how we handle it when it does occur. And he said, if you can, if you can recognize and realize that failure is nothing more than a mental construct designed by men to explain things, but does not really exist. Mm-hmm. And, and he has this phrase of, if I've tried and I've learned and it didn't work out, have I really lost? And he puts a question mark at the end. Because at the end of the day, if I'm further along on my, further along my path, I'm one step closer to the completing of the lifelong journey I want to have. And it's, it's really resonated with me so, so much lately in these last 8 to 12 months that, that people are just avoiding the, the pain of the suck. Well, if you want to, you know, you're, you're, a, you're a Marine and you want to be able to, to build up your body through weight training, the, the, the first couple of days are going to suck. It's going to hurt. You have to oh, yeah. go through basics, all those different things. But by the end, it's, it's about swapping out. And this is what Danny taught me, and it's a lesson I'll never forget. It's, a, it's about swapping out the word happy. That, well, that was my life. I wanted to have a happy life. And it came from childhood. You know, my parents are very clear. Go to school, get married, start a family, and just be happy. It was a four-step process in the Palmer household, and they thought it would work for generations. Well, the reality is it was it, they were setting me up for something that wasn't really going to occur. And here's why. The neuroscience behind the word happy, behind the experience of happy, is a spike of dopamine. It's a chemical reaction. Mm-hmm. You want to be happy, have a, have a bite of chocolate. But if you want to have a satisfying life, you have to recognize and realize that there are going to be highs and there are going to be lows. There are going to be stumbles and there are going to be triumphs. It's about having that satisfying life. And once Danny got me to recognize and embrace that part of the suck, that part of the, the satisfying journey was to embrace the suck, it changed everything for me. I changed my, I changed my, I moved, I started traveling, I went, I saw the world because before that, 
I was avoiding the suck. I was avoiding the airports. I was avoiding the travel issues. I was avoiding the, the not speaking the language. I gave it all up because I traded the word happy for the word satisfied by embracing the suck. Yeah. Well, no, exactly. I mean, that was the one of the first, and I, I didn't really understand what he meant by it at the time, but one of the first pieces of advice uh, my senior drill instructor gave me in boot camp was the only bad mistake is one you make twice. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Makes sense. And, and, and that was the most valuable piece of advice I got in my entire career. And, and the other thing is, and I like what you said there, the, the distinction between happy and satisfied and, and satisfied wins pretty much all the time because, uh, you know, you talk about the neuroscience, you know, there's all these studies that show uh, that when you have to suffer to achieve something, it means so much more and brings a bigger hit of dopamine, happiness, and it lasts longer. You know, that's the secret. Like people wonder why Marines are so fanatical about being Marines. That's it. You got to go through a lot of suffering to walk across that parade deck and earn the title of Marine. And, and just like Zappos, you know, in, in any, any culture, any organization has built that type of culture. It's not about what goes on in the good times. It's about how you react in those quote suck times. Oh, I could not agree with you more. I mean, we could just stop right there because that's exactly if you want to have a you want to be great if you're a young person you you have or you're, you're you know i'm surprised how many entrepreneurs i shouldn't be but i am who are starting companies for the first time in their 40s 50s and even in their 60s sometimes that i'm working with and i always say you can put on your website that you're the greatest you have world-class service la 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 it doesn't matter until something gets screwed up yep. and then do you step up or do you avoid do you deliver or do you deflect what do you do when it does not work and yep. And if you can create a – so I had an employee who worked for me. Her job during, when we had the recruiting business full-fledged, we were doing 600, 700 checks a week. Her job, her only job on Thursdays was to take the check off the printer, rubber stamp it with my signature, put it in the pre-addressed pre envelope and throw it in the mail because we were doing checks, a lot of checks at the time. This is 15 years ago. Right. It's the only job. Well, she got distracted and she took them off the, the printer, put them in the envelope and dropped them in the mailbox. She didn't stamp any of them with a signature, so they they couldn't be cashed. Mm. So Fridays, we put them in on the mail on Wednesday. Don't catch it Wednesday. Don't catch it Thursday. Friday, phones are blowing up with hundreds of people who can't cash their checks. Literally shut our business down. She comes into my office. She's in tears. She goes, I know you're going to fire me, but I want to see this through. How can we fix this? I'll stay all night long. And we, So we stopped the company, brought all 15 of us together, brainstormed out some ideas. We divided and conquered the problem. Some of us worked on Saturdays, and this young lady was going to go to a music concert. I just remember it's clear as day, now that you bring it back up to me. Clear as day, she was going to go to a music concert that night, and she wasn't able to go to her concert by her choice, not by my force. And we got everything addressed by like 4 p.m. on Saturday. got everybody fixed. Everybody got paid in full, and it became part of our culture points. So the client, my, my, my largest client calls me on Monday. She was off on Friday. She goes, oh, my God, I heard we had a nightmare on Friday. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't really a lot of fun, but you know, we got through it. She was, wow. So, I mean, so when you fired that young lady, what did she say? I said, huh, that's a great question. Um, well, let me be honest with you. I didn't fire her because one of our core values is when we screw something up, we own it and we fix it right now. Yep. And she's like, you didn't fire her? And I told her the story about how we fixed it and how she owned it. And, I said, no, she, she's still with us. I, I don't think she's going to make the same mistake this Thursday. We both kind of chuckled. 
client called me came back a couple of weeks later. She was, I thought about your story about your this employee. Her name was Stephanie. I thought about Stephanie's story. We've now changed our culture points to em, to embody when things don't when things go wrong. Here's how we handle it. And we built out a whole model of how to handle it based upon your story. I'm like, oh my gosh, I had no idea it was such a teachable moment for my client, let alone my staff. So that's what can happen when we, 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 we hire to our core values, when we hire to our why, when we hire for DNA, not just for resume, and, and how we live to those core values. And I mean, if you really have core values, I argue to my clients all the time. It's a core value if you will hire and fire by it, not just for something pretty to be hanging on the wall. Yeah. No, and that's the key. That is the absolute key right there is it can't just be something pretty that hangs on the wall. I remember going through a, an exercise with an organization where they wanted to create these, these culture points. And, uh, you know, I, I just, I could tell by the way it was going that, that they didn't a hundred percent get what they were doing. Sure. And, and I asked them, I said, do you realize what you're doing here? It's oh yeah, we're creating culture points. We got to, these are the things that we're going to, you know, live by. I was like, no, that's not it. You're creating a contract with the people that work for you that these are the standards that everybody in this organization, including you, are going to live and operate by. And if you can't uphold that contract, let's just stop right now because they're not going to be worth the paper they're printed on. Sure. Makes a ton of sense. And, and uh, you know, I love your story there, too, because, again, going back to that, the only bad mistake is one you make twice. I don't know what this lady does now. I don't know if she still works for your organization or not. But I guarantee she didn't do that again. <laughs> she did not. No. <laughs> and and the chances are, if you had had the knee-jerk reaction, fired her, got somebody in there quick, fast, and in a hurry, that there was a high likelihood that that person getting spun up quickly would make that same exact mistake, right? You know, it's it's so – we get so wrapped up in our culture, in business and outside of business, to point a finger of blame – and to to fi- fire people who make a mistake, and at the you know the reality is like you said you know the only bad mistake is a mistake you make twice. That makes you know I understand that you may need to make, change someone off your team if they continually make the same mistake over and over again. Um, we don't we don't fire our kids from our families when the first time they take a step they fall down on their face. Right. We we, we encourage them. We get them back up. Uh, one of my favorite authors is a guy named David Rendell. He wrote a book called The Freak Factor, and, and the the subtitle of it is What's Weird Makes You Wonderful. Mm-hmm. And he, he argues very vehemently with a lot of support data behind it that we should play to our strengths. And often as leaders, often as parents, we don't encourage that within our kids or within our employees and our, our, our teams. And if we just did more of that and more encouraging, you know, leveling them up as compared to forcing them out, I think we can save a lot of you know self-esteem issues in our society, but more important, or just as importantly, you know we can we can have people who will be loyal to us, not for the dollar, but for where they work at. You know, you look you look at going back to Zappos. Tony did such a great job that he had a waiting list of people who wanted to work for him in a call center. Mm-hmm. That's insane. In a call center, people wanted to work there because he created this atmosphere and this culture uh, of inclusion and diversity and. Uh, leveling people up is compared to throwing people out. And, you know, it is, it's just something I think we can so embrace in our, in our world right now in these times of chaos and crisis around COVID where people, you know, can really figure out how to get, surround ourselves with our tribe and build up our team. And as the leaders 
going back to the original question of you know burden of command, it all starts with us. Yeah. It, it all starts with us with our families. It all starts with us with our employees. It all starts with us with our communities. We can make that difference. And it's the blessing, and I think it's really the blessing of leadership as well. Well, absolutely, and and I like that point you made there about you know the the things that you know make us weird. Uh, like you stated, we 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 have this tendency to focus again, kind of what we were talking about earlier with with you know your business uh, when it was struggling. We tend to focus on these things that we think we should have, to the point where we kind of exclude the things that aren't normal. And we, we don't see how that weird thing, whatever it may be, can add value and set us apart from our competitors, set us apart from the, the other people uh, in our lives. Uh, well, if, it, it really, if you think, I, I, I tell my clients all the time, if you're, if you're going to be, you want to be seen separate from your, your, your competitors, niche down in who you are, not who you're not. Mm-hmm. Embrace your weirdness. Embrace your uniqueness. I just did a, a whole rebrand for my website, and I, I worked with this company because they said good marketing does one one of two things: it either attracts your ideal client, or or it turns away your not ideal client. Because yep. so many people want to somehow land somewhere in the middle. If you're going to work with us as a branding agency, we want to work with the oddballs, the weird people, the unique people. And I said, you're the one for me because yep. I coach the way I coach. I do what I do the way I do it, and the results speak for themselves. But it's not for everybody. If you if you want to coach, you know, part of my program is being massively accountable, and that requires me to be massively curious. Well, when I'm massively curious with somebody, it makes them massively uncomfortable. So, <laughs> so again, Earl, tell me you did this four times now, and it didn't work the four times you did it. Tell me, tell me, why'd you do it the fifth time? Well, people get annoyed with the question, and I said, well, why are you asking me that? I said because it's not serving you nor the business well. Yeah. Yet you keep doing it. So there's something that's driving you to do that. This isn't a question of judgment. It's a, mass, it's a question of massive curiosity. Because if you're always going to do that, I just have to accept that about you. But it may be that you know, you're going to drive yourself out of business, and that's okay because people do have self-defeating tendencies. And the other part of it is, though, if we can get you to understand why you do it, get you to stop doing it, and replace it with something that you could be doing or should be doing more effectively, then your business will grow. I had a leader I did that process with, first year with me, his revenue grew 70%. His yeah. profits grew 500% because he got out of his own headspace around what a good leader does, what a nice person is. He embraced a different set of that, and now he's crushing it. Now he's working you know, three days a week, making yeah. more money than he ever thought he could make before because he addressed that, that itty-bitty negative committee in his head. Well, yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, and that's exactly it. It is embracing the the difference, right? I mean, we talk about from suck to success, but but that suck is where you get to find out, you know, what what sets you apart. For and, sure. and I love, you know, I love some of these examples we've been talking about here. You know, but you brought up Tom's. You know, that was a thing. Like, and I can't remember his name. I see him on Shark Tank every time he's on there, so I can see his face, but. Uh, you know, he, when he tells the story, that was exactly it. He was just traveling, uh, came across this small community that most people didn't have shoes, figured out a cheap way to make shoes. I mean, because let's be honest, if you've ever seen a pair of Toms or owned a pair of Toms, they're not, they're not Cadillac shoes by any stretch of the imagination. They're good shoes, but people buy Toms because of that thing that makes them weird and different, which is you get to give the gift of another pair of shoes 
uh, to somebody in need. And, and a lot of organizations have embraced that model. There's uh, the sock company Bombas that does the same thing. Um, but but that's that thing. That's that, that unique thing. And we like unique things. But yet, wait, we often, when we start our businesses, we want to be all things to all people all yep. the time. I am the embodiment of that. Yeah, it's a, it's a Blake McCoskey from Tom's is just, you know, he's kind of a quirky, unique guy and he wanted to do things differently. But we, you know, in, in it's crazy because even if you look like in literature or in, in pop culture, we like the outliers. We embrace the weird. We, we, but yet we oftentimes try to drive everything to the middle to be all things to all people. And if we can just follow, follow the lead of some of these people who've already been there, done that, and survived their weirdness, their uniqueness, their, their, their ability to, to stand out from the crowd, you know, I mean, I, I can't imagine the, I wish I would have known Tony Shea when he said to, to people, we're going to give away, we're going to give away our shoes for free shipping. Yeah. I, I, I can't imagine that going over in, at a big company, but in an entrepreneurial environment, he went, everybody was charging for shipping. He went to the right and said, we're not going to charge for shipping and that'll be a value differentiator for us. It'll yeah. help us capture a market share. Yep. It's a, it was a risky move, but it worked. Yeah, it, 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 and that's it. You know, again, it's, it's that, that thing. And, and uh, you know, that, that thing can be anything. <laughs> For sure. And, and people got to not be afraid of what that thing is. Um, so, yeah, you know, I mean, it, this has been an outstanding, uh, an outstanding conversation. Uh, I really, really appreciate your insight and everything you've shared uh, with myself and my listeners today. And uh, I really really encourage everybody you know it isn't out yet but hopefully you can tell uh just from uh just from todd's comments and the passion that he's brought to this conversation uh that this is going to be a really good book from suck to success a guide for entrepreneurship and um you know by the time the show airs the book will be out and i'll make sure that i have links to that on there uh so people can go uh go get their copy um but, you know, again, just thank you for the conversation. Thank you for sharing your insight and being open and, and kind of vulnerable with your uh, your shortcomings in the first iteration of your business. And, uh, you know, I, I look forward to seeing what, what you all accomplish going forward. Well, Earl, it's, it's truly been my pleasure and honor to be on your program. And certainly I, I want to put it out there to any entrepreneur or any leader who's struggling right now, whether it's with their business or whether, you know, I've got clients right now that are struggling, their business is in, in tough shape and they're translating even into their home life. You know, I'm happy to do what I – to anybody who says that they want to talk to me, write to me at Todd at ExtraordinaryAdvisors.com. Go to my website. Send me a message. You heard me on Earl's show, and I'm happy to give you 30 minutes of my time, no charge, uh, just to kind of help you get unstuck. You know, even just 30 minutes of taking you from suck to success. It feeds my bucket. I love the work that I do. I've been very blessed to help a lot of people over the years, and a lot of people have helped me, so it's my opportunity to pay it forward as well. Outstanding. No, I really appreciate that. And, uh, you know, before we – uh, before we close out, uh, is there anything that you'd like to share with the audience that we didn't get a chance to touch on? Wow, we had such a rich conversation. Yeah. Um, we we covered so many so many different topics. You know, I think if I could do one thing, uh, I would I would reinforce to people that you you do have the opportunity right before you to create the life by design that you want, and it really is inside out leadership. 
and it's it's be there before you whether you use a coach like someone like myself or, or you work with someone like Earl or you just go to YouTube and look up some of the the life by design work out of Stanford or some of the work from Simon Sinek or Tim Ferriss or some of these other you know thought leaders in our in our world right now you you can build a life you want and it, it all starts with dealing with one person and that's dealing with yourself mm-hmm. and dealing with your imposter syndrome and your you know you, if you have the itty bitty shitty committee like I had where I had 600,000 members meeting on a daily basis it's dealing with that recognizing what doesn't work and pivoting your way through that you really you know I've seen people transform their lives in such a way that it's not only changed I got one client it's not only changed his life but mostly has changed his, his family's lives for generations to come just by a couple of, of pivots around some self-awareness. So I think it's all within us. I would challenge anybody to, to figure out how you can do that. And again, by all means, if I can be of any service to anybody listening today, feel free to reach out. I'm happy to help out. Outstanding. Outstanding. Well, you, uh, you, you already gave your email address, uh, Todd at extraordinaryadvisors.com. That will be in the show notes. Uh, extraordinaryadvisors.com uh, website. Um, what are some other ways, real quick, that folks can uh, get in touch with you if they want to reach out? You know, the, the easiest way for, for sure is to certainly check me out uh, at my website, extraordinaryadvisors.com. You can also check me out um, on social media. I'm on, on Facebook at Extraordinary Advisors. I've got a, um Instagram channel, at Todd Palmer, number two. Check me out on LinkedIn. Um, I, I'm pretty easy to find. I, I do a lot of a lot of uh, appearances uh, for for schools and for for entrepreneur groups to help others as well. So I, I'm happy to talk with with anybody at any time. It's it's this this work is not just work; it's a passion. Yeah, no, I agree 100. Uh, percent I I love talking to other coaches uh, that love doing what they do as much as I do, and it's you know I'm glad you focus on that self reward piece because you know it is it's it's very rewarding it's it's great work and uh, you know I I love doing uh, doing that and doing this podcast to get to talk to great guys like like yourself who are out there just crushing it and helping other people crush it so. You know, again, thank you for the time you spent with uh, myself and my audience today. I really appreciate that. Oh, again, Earl, it was my honor to be here. I, I thank you again for the opportunity, and I hope we can stay connected. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And listeners, as always, thank you for sticking with us. I hope you got a lot out of this conversation because there was a lot there. Uh, be sure uh, that you check out From Suck to Success, A Guide for Entrepreneurship. And uh, if you are just entering the workforce, Todd's previous book, uh, The Job Search Process, Find and Land a Great Job in Six Weeks or Less. I know a lot of us are finding ourselves in that situation uh, where we're maybe re-entering the workforce or we're entering it for the first time, as uh, we mentioned, with graduations and stuff coming around. Uh, Check that book out as well. Uh, If you have any comments, questions, or concerns for me, you know, to reach out at burden.command at gmail.com. Let me know what you think about this show. Let me know if you have any questions, ideas for future guests. I really appreciate you all taking the time to write the great reviews, uh, share the show with people you know, so uh, my guests like Todd can get their ideas spread out. And uh, just appreciate your support over the last year, year and a half of this podcast. It really means a lot. Thank you for your time. And I look forward to speaking with you again in the next episode. Electric acid. Welcome to the Candle Power Hour. Come with us backstage behind the scenes of show business spanning over four decades and bringing you the experiences that can only be told by the people who were there. 
Our guests are from the A-list, the F-list, and everyone in between. Get set for some of the most insane, hilarious, and inspiring stories you will ever hear. I'm Mercury. And I'm Diego. Your host for the The Candle Candle Power Power Hour. Electric acid. 